Hey, Cracked fans. With the summer months just around the corner, we know all of you are beginning to think about how you can best maximize your chances to improve your game with the warm weather. Well, thankfully, we here at Cracked Rackets are so excited to tell all of you about the 254 Tennis Camp happening this summer at Baylor University. Now, over the course of three weeks in June, starting June 12th through the 16th and ending June 26th through the 30th, you'll have the opportunity to learn from from some of the best coaches in the business in an all-encompassing tennis experience. You'll have the opportunity to improve each and every part of your game, whether that be on the singles court, whether that be on the doubles court, through drilling, through point play, match play as well. You'll also, of course, receive a free t-shirt for participating in the camp, but also have the chance to see yourself broadcasted as our Crack Rackets team will be providing coverage of the final day each week at this 254 tennis camp. Again, you'll have the opportunity to learn from some of the best coaches in the business. I promise Coach Michael Woodson and the Baylor team going to make it an extraordinarily enjoyable time. How can you get signed up today? Well, you can learn more information by visiting the Baylor website by going to baylor.edu slash athletics slash tennis camp. Again, that's baylor.edu slash athletics slash tennis camp to sign up today. Now, this camp open to any and all entrants, but limited only by age, number, grade level, and or gender. Again, you can learn more about this camp by going to baylor.edu slash athletics slash tennis camp today. Don't miss out, folks. Going to be three very exciting, fun weeks of tennis down at Baylor University. Be sure to sign up for the 254 Tennis Camp happening at Baylor today. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Thursday, May 19th. On today's show, we continue our preview of the 2022 French Open, the year's second Grand Slam, beginning next week. As such, plenty of for us to get excited about as tennis fans. Of course, this weekend, also the conclusion of the 2022 college tennis season. If you're looking for coverage for that event, hop on over to our Great Shot podcast feed. We've previewed both the men's and women's quarterfinals. We'll recap all the action as it unfolds in Champaign, preview each round before each day's play as well. Of course, I am so fortunate to be on the broadcast for the semifinals onwards, and you can follow all of that coverage over on the Tennis One app. But again, if you're looking for coverage of the last week of the college tennis season, the Great Shot podcast is the place for you. Of course, as we've been doing all week here on today's show, we're going to continue our preview of the 2022 French Open, and we've already broken down our dark horses. We've already broken down our contenders. Now, the draws come out here today, but we are recording this podcast Wednesday night. One last topic for us to preview before we look at the draws and get ready for the 2022 French Open to begin. That, of course, is a look at a group of players near and dear to our heart here at Crack Rack. It's a group we focus at routinely throughout the course of the year. That, of course, is the Americans, and as an American, it was 
was following American men's and women's tennis that got me into the sport. And right now is a fascinating time in American men's tennis. Obviously, I believe it's what, six or seven American men going to be seated at the 2022 French Open, this next generation of players from Fritz all the way through to Jensen Brooksby ascending towards the top of the ATP rankings. Of course, there's a phenomenal depth in American men's tennis as well. On the women's side, if not Iga Svantec, it could be just about anyone. And I believe there are a couple of Americans we can all circle on that women's side to make those potentially deep runs, perhaps even threaten Iga. If someone's going to do it, I believe there are a couple of Americans who may be best positioned to do so. But with that in mind, well, you hear him in the background already. With that in mind, we got plenty to debate and discuss on today's show. And of course, if you're going to have those sorts of debates and discussions, you better bring on a fun guest to do it with. And thankfully, that is precisely what we have here on today's show. Joining us once again on the podcast, making his long-awaited return, is a returning champion here on our Cracked Racket shows, a writer you know best from his work, whether it be on the All About Tennis blog for our uh, website, CrackedRackets.com. You may know his betting work. He's written just about everywhere. That's because he's one of the best in the business, folks. Friends of the program, David Gertler, Welcome back to the show. How are you? That doing is some introduction. Thank you so much. <laughs> oh, it is always a pleasure to have you back. All is well with you. You're safe. You're healthy. I I, I am. Uh, I would. Yes, I am safe. I am healthy. Uh, I I got norovirus a couple weeks oh. ago. That was horrible. Yeah. Look so. at us. We're all dealing with Corona still. You've moved on to the next big thing. <laughs> Yeah, that's I don't know which one's worse because the way I was feeling that day. (laughs) Yes, well, we are happy you are doing well. We are happy to have you back. And look, whenever I have the chance to talk to you, I feel like there are a million different directions we can go into. I do want to ask you one big picture question before we get into the Americans, because so much is always made about this open era of tennis we're seeing, particularly on the women's side. It feels like we've been in this stretch for about four years now where there's no definitive number one singles player. You can probably draw that line all the way back to Serena, you know, making her return from pregnancy on court just hasn't been back with the frequency of dominance that she had prior to that moment. And as such, we've seen multiple Grand Slam champions emerge over the past few seasons on the women's side. On the men's side, of course, you still have the big three, in particular Rafa Djokovic doing their thing. But this season, David, we have simultaneous ascensions occurring for two players who I think are now marked as the two stars to watch here in this next decade of professional tennis. Of course, on the women's side, I'm referring to 37-3 and Iga Svantec. On the men's side, Carlos Alcaraz, the now 19-year-old, beating Djokovic Nadal on his way to another Masters 1000 title. Of course, he's won two of them here in this 2022 season. What do you make of each player's ascension? Where are you with each? Let's start with Iga. All right, with Iga. I mean, what can we say? Five, five straight tournament wins, right? Uh, 28 uh, consecutive victories. 28 consecutive. And she's not even losing sets or really even games and sets. It's crazy stuff. With that said, I just have a funny feeling about Paris. There's something about there's something about a major that brings on. Did we see it in qualifying this week? That brings on extra pressure, and all these wins. It's all nice and all, but Colin still beat her at the Australian Open, uh, and she and I believe she beat her pretty badly. Um, and so I just feel like, yes, of course we ought to. Uh, 
uh, excuse me for the pronunciation, uh, is on fire right now. I mean, the serve is hitting its spots. That forehand is the best shot in women's tennis right now. The backhand has improved infinitely. Uh, her, it's so much more solid. She moves so well, especially on clay. The way that she moves on clay, her variety. I could go on and on. I'm probably saying the same things I'll say about Alcaraz coming up too. But uh, I just, I am so impressed. So I don't want to, I don't want to uh, poop on her and say, oh, you know, the French Open, it's, you know, it's not happening. Because of course, I don't see anyone in the draw that can beat her. But then again, I, I didn't think that Stakovsky would be better. And I didn't think that Lucas Rasol would beat Nadal, you know, at Wimbledon, you know, but or Soderling at beating it all at the French Open. Things can happen, and I want to see the draw first. I do think there's, if I had to pick one player that can beat her, it's an American. Interesting, and I think we're going to have the same American. So that's where you're at with Iga. Here's my thing. I've said it on a couple of podcasts. From a numbers perspective, A, she's breaking serve David 56% of the time. Crazy. That's ridiculous. That's historic. If she finishes the season with that mark, that's the best season in WTA history from a returning perspective. The eye test matches up with those numbers. I mean, again, unless you have a Naomi Osaka or an Arena Sabalenka on the right day serve, and even then, she it's still not easy to break down that forehand return, and her backhand return is probably the best return right now in women's tennis. She's so comfortable on the slide, moves exceptionally well. Her first step, so quick, so powerful. I mean, again, there's no discernible weakness for Iga Fiontek And mathematically, 37-3, and 7-1 and one against the top 10, five titles in eight events, five finals in eight events. She, you know, a Grand Slam semifinal in her first run. She's on pace to have one of those Navratilova, Graf, Everett, Celis, Serena-type seasons. She needs the Grand Slam titles right, to be right. on that level. Absolutely. But she has done everything else to this point. And we don't see that very frequently. And so that's, of course, where we're at with Shviantek. Where, are, Let me ask it like this to you. If Carlos Alcaraz does not make the semifinals of this tournament, not even win the French Open, but if he doesn't make the semifinals, David, did something go horribly wrong? Like, I feel like I am that confident in him at this point as well. I know. and But I'm, I'm like, in my head, I'm like, when you initially asked that, I'm like, yes, yeah, something's wrong. And then I'm thinking to myself, well, he's only 19 years old. And do we want to put all this pressure on him? Not that he's listening, but you know. Yeah. My thing is on that pressure note, and I talked about this with Gil Gross on yesterday's show, allow fans to be excited. That's the fun of being a tennis fan is the imagination that comes in this sort of moment where we have two future prospects who we have not had on this level with all due respect to Kennan and Barty and, you know, all and rescue flirted with this. Certainly, Radakanu flirted with this momentarily. But you know, on the men's side, Zverev was really good. Tsitsipas was a little bit older. He was really good. We haven't had a men's or women's prospect on this sort of transcendent level since young Rafa, young Djokovic, young Andy on the men's side. On the women's side. I mean, Wozniacki flirted with this level, but the difference being Sviantek already has a slam title. We just right. don't see this very frequently. Yeah, I mean, Alcaraz's forehand top three shot on the, you know. So here's, I'm so happy you brought this up, David, and you and I think similarly in this sense, and you'll actually entertain this hypothetical. You think you're going to play more than 50 hours of tennis in your life the rest of the way? Absolutely. I, 
Yeah, absolutely. Probably I certainly hope so. Yeah, I certainly hope so. With that in mind, would you give up the last 50 hours of your life to have Alcaraz's drop shot for the remainder of it? Yes. <laughs> like, it's not even a question. Like, I couldn't agree with you more because the, the amount of enjoyment I would get out of being able to execute that shot for the remainder of my life is worth giving up those last 50 hours. I agree with you. And to the Alcaraz question, because I think you're one of the great tennis minds of our generation. Oh, don't say that. Well, <laughs> look, it's not a high bar to clear. Um, but what's the weakness? Like, how do you attack Carlos Alcaraz? It used to be attack the second serve. You look yeah, at the that stats was, leaderboard yeah. right now amongst players here in 2022. Carlos Alcaraz, second serve win percentage. I mean, is it outstanding for Alcaraz? No. But you look for Carlos Alcaraz again amongst top 50 players. His second serve win percentage right now, I lied. It is outstanding. It's 13th, David. 13th. <laughs> He's 13th best at the second serve. Like, yeah, you say that about everyone. His second serve is no longer discernibly attackable it it's unbelievable and what he does is he pushes you back with that forehand and then he hits that perfect drop shot well his ability sorry to cut you off but we can be conversational here this is why i love having you back it's not even that it's on the ad side he is guaranteed to find a forehand i don't care if it's a first serve or a second serve his first ball is going to be a forehand and for lack of a better term when his first ball is a forehand you're f***ed like, yeah. it's just, you lose. It's, you know, and the thing is, like, I would be, you know, I'm a little, I say, uh, best of five, we haven't seen mm-hmm. it. But then again, I think back to Barcelona when mm-hmm. I, when he played that three something, three and a half hour match and then went right back and crushed PCB afterwards. It's like, how can I, you know, and the same thing in Madrid, that brutal match against, uh, Djokovic and then, you know, and Nadal the day before. And then of course, you know, Zverev had the scheduling issues. I agree with him on that front, but still Alcaraz looked fresh as a daisy for that final. No, he's exceptional. He really is. And yeah, to beat Djokovic on a bum ankle, like it's a testament to his skill set. With that in mind, I'll sneak this in at the beginning. So I don't have to ask you at the end, who are you picking right now to win the titles? I want to spot, well, on the men's side, I want to see the draw on the women's side. It's easy. It's like yeah. if you don't pick Sviat, Sviatek, then you're trying you to be understand cute. understand what the reasoning. Yeah, I, I agree with you. It's very, very difficult to pick anyone. She might but lose. She yeah. Can, you can't pick it. I like I, respectfully. I understand. I I totally understand why you are waiting for the men's draw to come out, and I'm going to allow you to do that. I'm going to get you out of that answer. But uh, hold wait, on. Okay. I'll give a prediction. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Djokovic. I, oh, yeah. I don't, I think in best of five, he would have beaten Alcaraz in Madrid. I still think that. I, well, I, just, I don't know about that, but I think he would have beaten Alcaraz best of five in Rome because he was a different yeah. player physically. Like, and we saw what we needed to see. It was so eerily reminiscent of last season. I think all the smart people are picking Djokovic now because we've just seen the flashes we need to see. And Rafa's not healthy yet. With that in mind, though, our topic today is the Americans. And of course, before we get into that, a shout out, as always, to our friends at Tennis Point for providing the latest and greatest equipment to so many Americans, but countless tennis players across the globe. And look, for the greatest deals at the greatest prices, there's one place to go, tennis-point.com. They'll help you find what you're looking for. You use our promo code CR15 on checkout. You'll get 15% off your order. Free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. Best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls. Again, tennis-point. Symbol, not the 
spelling, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. With that said, let's get into the Americans. And while the American men are more intriguing, the American women have the ability to play a bigger role in the storylines we see unfold over the next two weeks. And two American women I want to start with, David, are Danielle Collins and Amanda Nisimova. Okay. I in my women's con- yeah, so in my women's contenders podcast with Gil Gross, I had both women in my list of the top five players most likely to beat Iga Sviantek and perhaps win the 2022 French Open title. Let's start with Danielle Collins. You mm-hmm. look for Collins overall on the season. Obviously, the most you know, dramatic, the most remar- remarkable is the wrong word. The most significant is the word I was looking for. Result is the Australian Open run to the final, where of mm-hmm. course she knocks off Sviantek, knocks off a Mertens, a Tossin, and you know ultimately gets knocked out in a very competitive six three seven six final against Ashley Barty. Now, she has not been the healthiest since that moment, but you look at her matches, she's actually lost. While the score lines have been dramatic, the losses to Osaka, Andrescu, Anisimova, and down and a loss to Von Drusova in a match where she got hurt and had to retire and was actually leading the match uh, at the time where she uh, was forced to retire. With that said, again, we got to see her play really good tennis in her victory over Simona Halep round one in Rome. And... Danielle Collins also has the you know, the uh, resume fact of beating Iga Sviantek in a significant Grand Slam match earlier this season. And there's an FU to Danielle Collins where she will – and it's an intangible it. quality where she is not afraid of any opponent she is facing across the net. She believes she is as good as any player on the WTA Tour. You also look again analytically. There are six players right now in the women's game who rank top 20 in both hold and break percentage. Now, obviously, Ego's one of them, and she's top three in both hold and break percentage. But Danielle Collins is one of those six players as well. So the numbers say it. The eye tests say it. She's not the most match tough, but she will be a top 10 seed, David. I guess my question is, outside of Iga Sviantek, are you definitively picking anyone in a head-to-head matchup against Danielle Collins? Yes. I'm picking Amanda Anisimova against uh, Danielle Interesting. Collins. So Anisimova I... was two on my list. Collins was three. So we'll get to the Anisimova okay. mo- in, in a moment. Let's start with Collins because okay. I think she's the more notable and prominent name here in this instance. Yeah, so How confident are you with her? Something that interested or surprised me when I looked into her play results is that she actually has a 68% career winning percentage. on Yes. Play. Was very good on the clay last year in lieu of playing the Olympics. Yep. She won Palermo last year, uh, beat Roos in the final, I believe got revenge for the whole yeah. drama in Hamburg, but uh, her backhand is top five backhand on the WTA tour top three. Uh, I mean, I just am, she can just power right through opponents and she has that attitude. She's not going to be scared of the moment. If she plays with Sviatek at the French Open, she, like you said, has struggled a little bit with injuries. And I know she's had health problems in the past couple of years. So, I, you know, you, you don't know for sure what version of Collins, you know, is it going to be the Collins that lost 6-2, 6-2 to Anisimova in Rome? Or is it going to be the one that beat Halep in straight sets in the round before? We don't really know, but... That win over Halep told me she has the level to challenge and potentially be Sviatek in the right um, 
right conditions. I would have liked her more in uh, altitude, like in Madrid, for instance, against Spiatek. But if Spiatek played Madrid, but I really am so the backhand yeah, and the forehand has improved too over the past year or two, I would say. Well, and her serve is great. The thing Gil did a really good job of pointing out in our podcast was that if you're going to beat Iga, you got to take advantage of her second serve. And Iga right now ranks fourth amongst top 50 players on the WTA Tour in second serve win percentage. So it's not as though it's an easy thing to do. But for Iga at the Australian Open, she struggled on the second serve. And you look at that match against Danielle Collins in particular. I mean, she won 14% of her second serve points was under 37% in three consecutive matches in Australia on that second serve. Now her kick serve is that much more effective, certainly on the high bouncing clay courts, but Collins has the mentality and the skill set to punish a hanging second serve and, you know, take advantage of those opportunities, get Iga on her back foot. Mm -hmm. Now Iga slides so well and moves so comfortably in and out of the outer thirds of the court on clay and her sliding backhand again might be the best shot right now in women's tennis. You have to play perfect. There's no denying that. But Danielle Collins is perfect, would be good enough as we've seen to beat an Iga Sviantek, maybe not on her best day, but on a 90% day, I think Collins's best is good enough. And that's why I think she has to be in this conversation. To your point, she's won about 70% of her matches on clay. She has, you know, made the quarterfinals of the French Open before. And the big thing here is she gets a day off in between matches. And that's massive for Danielle Collins, given her health issues right now. And I think that that factor... In, in a WTA draw where no one is playing particularly well outside of Iga, give me the player who has the intangible confidence and then has that extra day off to get fit. Yeah, and something, another example of a power player at the uh, Australian Open was against Kaya Kanepi, uh, yeah, tech, that was uh, 6-3 in the third, but she had to win a tight tie break. She only won 37% of her second serves in that match. Um, yeah. So it the as you stated the formula is there but it's really hard to pull off uh it so i don't see it but would i be surprised would i would i be surprised would i would be surprised if collins won but i wouldn't be stunned does that make sense yeah no it does i mean of course i would be surprised if anyone beats Iga Sviantek, and it's a degree, I suppose, of stunnage at this point. Um, That said, I mean, again, if anyone's going to do it, we've seen Collins do it before. She does have the tenacity to continue to keep swinging, even when Iga is in one of her seemingly ungodly modes. I I just, I'm interested in that Collins match. The other one who I think has to be on the top of the list is Amanda Nisimova, who Mm -hmm. obviously just beat Danielle Collins uh, two and two in Rome. And, you know, by every metric, Amanda Nisimova, also one of the six players who ranked top 20 in both hold and break percentage this season. She's 12th in terms of total points accumulated, uh, fifth right now in terms of yearly ELO rating, 20 and eight overall. And you look for Anisimova, who of course has won a title in her career on clay, made a semifinal at the Roland Garros uh, back in 2019. Who have the losses been to her, for her? You know, she loses to Sabalenka. She loses to Jabour. She loses to Barty in Australia after already beating Osaka and Bencic. You know, she's also beaten Sabalenka a couple times this year, beaten a Bencic, beaten a Collins, beaten a Vika. She's the sort of player who, sw- you know, again, she plays on her terms. She swings through everyone. 
And you have to be able to do that against Iga. Her backhand, I think, is well-suited to match up against the Iga kick serve. Again, we're asking players to do the impossible. But Anisimova is one of those players, an eventual Serena Williams Power Tennis Country Club inductee, who just has the gear, it feels like, to potentially knock off Aniga. Oh, yeah. And something that I really am impressed is how she absorbs power and how she doesn't get pushed back behind the baseline. Mm -hmm. She stands right on that baseline. And that's partially why I think a player like Sabalenka has had so much trouble. I believe until this recent, very recently, uh, Nisimova was 4-0 against Sabalenka, uh, now 4-1. But like you said, the results are great. Collins, Benchit, uh, Azarenka, Sabalenka. Uh, she's beaten, you know, when she's beaten some non-power players, like she beat Putin Seva, Petra Martic, they're both good on clay. I, and then on hard, you know, she beat Naomi Osaka in hard courts this year. She is under the radar playing top 10 tennis this season. And even in Madrid, when she lost to Alexandrova, Alexandrova was peaking that tournament. She yeah. was playing incredibly well. So I am, for me, Anisimova is the player I think that can beat Sviatek at the French, or her or Jabor uh, was, I think someone asked on Twitter. Uh, those are the two I gave. No, I mean, the power, I mean, Anisimova's backhand is just a slingshot of power. And I don't love her forehand. I do love her ability to hit that inside out forehand because it just puts you in such an co- uncomfortable position on the clay courts in particular. And if she has any open sp- space, she has the power to make it pay. This is a weird take. Is she a better mover on clay courts than hard courts? I think the answer is yes. Because mm. she's not the best mover on either. But I no. think she's a little like I think she's a little more fluid on the clay because she just has a little more time. I I think it's it, yes. Yeah. I think it's close, but it, I would give the slight edge to clay. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. And you know, again, all of the, I think Anisimova has that sort of power tennis in particular that makes her so appealing. With that said, the most consistent American of the season, the one who leads Americans in terms of points accumulated on the year, and, and she's fifth right now overall in the WTA race, seventeen and eleven overall on the season, is Jessica Pagula, who of course will be seated at this event. And you look for Jessica Pagula; she'll be the number eleven seed uh, here, if not higher, depending on if anyone else pulls out of the draw. I mean, Jess Pegula has been exceptional throughout the course of this year. I mean, not exceptional, but she's been the epitome of good throughout the course of the yeah. season. You look for her 37 to 22 in her last 50 uh in her last 52 weeks again. 17 and 11 in tour play, 19 and 11 overall. She's, you know, you look at who the losses are to. Yeah, there was a bad loss to Vandeway in Charleston and you don't love the Billie Jean King Cup loss to Yastremska, Indian Wells, Buzkova certainly, but outside of that in the big events, you know, Madrid final, she loses to Jabor. Rome round of 16, knocked out by Sabalenka. Doha, knocked out by Sakari. Dubai, knocked out by Jabour. Australian Open quarterfinalist, she beat Sakari before getting knocked out by Barty. She's one of those players you feel most confident about her holding seed, right? And you pencil in, her in to that round of 16. Miami. Yeah, and like by virtue of getting to the round of 16, particularly given where the rest of the field is at, you're just in the ball game. And so like... You know, why the Anisimova case is so interesting is because I think if Anisimova plays Bedosa in the third round, as their seeding indicates they might, like I think the tennis world at large is going to pick Anisimova in that match. Uh, why yeah. Pagula is so interesting is like, 
outside out like who are you picking against her that's seated below her that's the tough thing for Pagula is it is she has been as consistent as anyone in women's tennis this year I don't love her game on clay and I know she made the final Madrid Madrid is higher altitude faster yeah she does have a 60 percent career winning percentage on clay and she's not gonna give you the match and that's what I was I remember in Madrid, she played Cerebus Tormo and her patience in that match, her, she just waited and waited until Cerebus Tormo gave her a short ball that she could just attack. And she hit it with such accuracy right where she wanted deep in the court that her consistent depth is fantastic. She doesn't spray a lot of unforced errors. Like you said, it's hard to pick against her because she doesn't have a ton of weaknesses. And I and she's not going to give you anything away. Like, you know, Georgie, it, it's kind of funny. Georgie was a point away from beating her in the first round, but she's mentally so tough as well. She's not, she's hung in that match until Georgie's level dropped, and she eventually took it in a very tight third set. But I, like we said with, with uh, Sviatek on a lower level, there's just not that many weaknesses that I see that players can exploit. How Where would you project her like without seeing the draw, what would you say is a good result where for her? Where would you have her land? Old seed, round of sixteen. That's what it's got to be for Pagula, and I, I think that's both the ceiling, you know, the floor, the ceilings, like quarterfinals. It's a pretty one round standard mm-hmm. deviation here because that's how consistent Pagula has been. And look, last year, just Pagula put together one of the ret- all time return seasons was right around fifty percent, which obviously was a career high for her and was number one in return percentage for the majority, if not the duration of the season. Now you look for her this year uh, via return percentage right now. Certainly uh, that number has dipped a bit uh, for her. Uh, Jessica Pagula currently, let's see right now via hold percentage. Yeah, she's come back to earth. She's at 36.4%, which is 22nd. The big thing for her is her improvements as a server. Jessica Pagula uh, up to a new career high here this year uh, in terms of hold percentage. She's holding serve right around, you know, 72, 73% of the time. I mean, again, that's a significant improvement here for Jessica Pagula moving forward. And it's going to be fascinating to see how that serve translates here at the French Open on a surface where I agree with you. I don't think her line drive based game is particularly effective on these clay courts. That said, she just puts so many returns in play and is so relentless and very rarely beats herself. I think Anything worse than third round is not a disaster, but a significant disappointment. Round of 16, you you met the expectations. Anything, you know, second week's the goal. Anything in the second week is gravy. Yeah. It, again, it come, a lot of it comes down to where is she in the draw? Who's around? But I agree. Round of 16 quarterfinals. I can't see her going any further, but I wouldn't expect her to go out before then either. Yeah. Um, well, with that in mind, let's look through some of the other Americans who have obviously had some success or various degrees this year. Madison Keys, who plays the sort of power variants of Danielle Collins, of Amanda Nisimova. Now, obviously, she hasn't had the success of those two on clay here throughout the course of the season and has struggled a bit uh, since her thunderous start to the year in Miami. But Keys still 15-9 and overall. She's obviously had success in Paris before you look for Madison Keys. I know it was a couple of years ago, but you go back, what was it, I believe, 2017 for Keys, where she reached, 2018, excuse me, where she reached the 20 uh reached the quarterfinals of this event reached the uh the semifinals of this event quarterfinals in 2019 as well 
you know, last year, third round loss for her to Victoria Azarenka, but she's going to be seeded this year. You know, doesn't come in in the best of form, first round losses in Madrid and Rome, but, you know, three set loss to Sakari in Rome. I don't think there's, or in Madrid, excuse me, I don't think there's any shame in that. And, you know, Kalnina in Rome, a four and four loss. Kalnina, I watched that. She was not good. Yeah, but Kalnina, Kalnina again, puts the sort of pressure. Well, that is a match. Keys should just have so many opportunities to dictate in. But still, Maddie Keys is a big tournament performer. And that is true. I, I do think she can absolutely make a second week run here because, again, who in the field is playing definitively better than her? I don't know, Alex. Okay. So you said she said she's 15 to nine. She's four and eight since the Australian Open quarterfinals. She's one and three on clay. Her only win was against Ulrike. Uh, I I carry. Uh, excuse me for the pronunciation. Uh, which I carry is a true, but her three uh, losses were Benchich, who won Charleston. That's true. Zachary, who you know probably should have made the final in Madrid. Um, and Kalnina, who yeah, that's right. the bad that's one. True. Kalnina's that the bad true. one. And then yes, in Indian Wells, she lost to Sviatek. Kalnina again in Miami. I I do see what you're saying, but. You know, watching her, she's just been so erratic from the yeah. baseline. And it's just, yes, you know, that's the thing about Keys is at the Australian Open, she caught fire. She was mm. not making those horrible unforced errors that she sometimes makes. She was had that controlled aggression that she was pounding the serves, hitting huge ground strokes, and they were all going in. But do we rely on that on her worst surface? You know, are we, I just, I can see a very early exit. It, again, depends on the draw, but she's just been, she just has had no control over her ground stroke. She hasn't found, she does, she's not being patient enough out there. She did look like a little more patient against Kalanina in this most recent match, but still, I just, it with as many unforced errors as she's hitting, I just, don't trust her at the moment. She has always been a player who, if she gets to the second week, she becomes that much more dangerous, but she's got to get to the second week first. And, you know, again, she hasn't. Uh, you know, she has not been consistent since Australia. You're absolutely right in the, uh, on that note. And so, no, I mean, again, I think if she gets to the second week, everyone's afraid. If she, But yeah. can she get there? That's certainly the question for all of us to monitor. Now, again, moving beyond that, let's look at some of the other Americans. We've had the Coco Golf debate <laughs> a million times with you on this show here, David. We can do Are you it. starting to see the light? <laughs> I don't know about see the light. I think that might be a bit hyperbolic. <laughs> I guess. Maybe a little bit. But her she's not progressing very fast, though. As fast as maybe expectations. No, I mean, look. She's 14 and 10 overall on the season. Now, again, who are those 10 losses to? Sakari, Halep twice. Sakari twice, Halep twice, Shviantek, Keys in Australia, Chung Wong, who has been playing really well this season, you know, and Jessica Pagula in Dubai. Like, there's not a bad loss on her resume, but there's also not a good win. Like, I agree with you. She has just been fine this year, holding steady. And she's number 18 in the world right now, has quarterfinal points to defend. I mean, this is a massive moment for Coco Goff. And she has been sort of the byproduct. We talk about those loaded draws on the WTA Tour. It's just been tough draws for her week in, week out. Now, if you want to make that next jump, there's no excuses. you got to win some of those matches. I get that. But she could also find herself in the third, fourth round by beating some of the lower-ranked players that, quite frankly, she just hasn't had the opportunity to play this season. 
Absolutely. I her backhand is still really good. Yeah. Uh, she can, and the can surf has gotten play. better. Yeah, the forehand is not progressed. I that's just my opinion. I mean, it's not me. I mean, it couldn't get much worse than it used to be. But <laughs> I mean, it hasn't. It's still mediocre. It's still not. You know, it's it hasn't improved that much since when she beat Venus and Wimbledon two three years ago and. Based on the hype I was seeing on Twitter, I I would have assumed that by now she would be top five in the world. But uh, you know, I I see what you're saying too. I think she's 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 still eight, 18 in the world. I mean, at 18 years old, that is still very impressive. I can't argue with that. Her she her game works well on clay. I think I think that uh, I think that it honestly even though she had her initial breakthrough on grass, I actually think grass might be her weakest surface, but um, I, I, it's hard. I think again, same thing as Pagula, maybe, you know, third, maybe third to quarterfinals where she'll end up and she'll lose to a player like Sakari and that will be that. And we won't think much of her after the tournament. Yeah. Fair. I mean, I, I, I think it depends who the draw is. Like, again, if she draws a Bedosa who doesn't come in with particularly good form or a Muguruza or a Radakanu, which would be fascinating from a storyline perspective, like, there's no reason she can't beat any of those players, even Annette Conteve, yeah. who doesn't come in with particularly good form, or Krejcikova. She's absolutely in the mix with everyone else. She just doesn't have that signature victory here this season. Obviously, serious points to defend, uh, so she is someone to watch. Uh, uh, any, any, I mean, and, and, and again, statistically, for Goff. I don't want to say she's plateaued here this season because she hasn't, but, you know, again, you look for Coco Goff thus far on the year. I mentioned the 14 and 10 record. Hold percentage 67.1 below her career average. Break percentage 36.5 above her career average. Both of those numbers about 2.5% difference from those career numbers. It's been up and down for Coco throughout the course of this year, so certainly this presents a massive opportunity for her. Quickly, we're going to rapid fire through the rest of the American women, David. I just want you to know, you can just say yes or no. Are they going to get past the second round? Allie Risk? No. No. Shelby Rogers? Definitely no. Madison Brangle? Okay, I got to just say this. I love Madison Brangle's game. I love how she is super consistent and I love how no flair. I, that's kind of how I play. So I kind of see myself in her, but no. <laughs> Interesting. Rogers, by the way, is I would, is always a wild card. Sloan Stevens. Did, uh, did you see her in Rabat? So that's a no. Horrendous. Yeah. No. <laughs> Ann Lee. Ann Lee. I love Ann Lee, uh, but I don't think clay is her surface. So no. Claire Lou. Claire Lou's playing really well. I think if out of everyone you just named in the rapid fire fire, she has the best, not the best chance, but I actually, I'm going to say yes for Claire Lou. I agree. If the draw breaks, interestingly, Clay has always been a good surface for her. I, I like, again, how heavy she hits the ball in the set, at quarterfinals this week in, in Rabat. I she agree. She the final last week. Yeah, so she is absolutely a player you keep your eye on. All right, with that in mind, let's move over now to the men's side of the equation. And again, it's a big week for the American men. Big tournament for them. Certainly, you look with some of the withdrawals we've seen on the men's side. I believe it is going to be seven Americans seated at this event. And certainly, you know, none of them in the top 10. Only Fritz, Opelka, top 20 seeds. But Isner, Tiafo, Korda, Paul, 
Brooksby, all going to sneak in as top 32 seeds. Those seven Americans. I can't believe seeds. Brooksby's a seed. That's I mean, like again, it's, yeah, it's his, what, like second grand. You know, last year he loses in qualifying. This year he's seeded at the French Open. And then, by the way, he's got a lot of points to start defending after this French Open. So this yeah. is really the last free ride for Jensen Brooksby. But, I mean, seven American men seeded. In this event, here's my question to you, David. Do any of them make the second week? And if so, who are you picking? Oh, man. If I knew Taylor Fritz was healthy, I would absolutely, I think actually, even though he only has a 55% winning percentage in his career on clay, I still love the high bounces, really important. He does really well at the high bounces. And I would love to pick him to the second week but I just can't because I don't know if he's healthy. Yeah. And I mean, Opelka, he's been doing well this week. Uh, or he beat O'Connell today. Uh, you know, in Rome, he lost to Wawrinka. He lost in the first round of Madrid to Corda. So I don't think, I just don't see it with Opelka on, even though the kick serve works so well on clay. Isner, maybe in doubles, he's a double specialist now. Um, Tiafo, I don't see it. Uh, Corda is okay. Corda, I can see. I don't trust him mentally. This is I, so fun for me to watch you listen or like see all these names and just go through it in your head. This has been delightful for me, by the way. Corda, I just, what do, what do you think about Corda? Do you, do, I mean, because there's times like when he was, when he beat Alcaraz. And uh, was it uh, Monte Carlo Mm -hmm. that he you think that he is, you know, he could make the second week and he has, I believe, didn't he make the He lost to Nadal in the round of 16 Mm -hmm. a few weeks, a few years ago. But then, you know, in Rome, he loses four and one to uh, Botic. So and then in uh, Madrid, he where in altitude, he really should be beating Lorenzo Musetti. He loses in straight sets. So it's like, what version of quarter are we going to get every week? Yeah, it's a good question to ask. So quarter would be the guy for me, David. I think you have to circle because quarter's a guy who's made a second week in Paris before. Now you look for Sebastian Corda. You're right. There has been variance in what we see week in, week out. And right now, Sebastian Corda, according to the yearly abstract tennis abstract rankings, 36th overall with his 14 and 10 record. Here's the thing. The highs have been particularly high, and he does have the signature victory over an FAA, over an Alcaraz, over a Vandesen Sculp on the clay courts. Again, he's been in the second week of Roland Garros before and, you know, played pretty well during the Sunshine Swing. I mean, again, probably you play that Nadal match, you know, 10 times. Does he win one or two of them? I think he does. And to lose to an informed Kesmanovic in Miami 6-3 and three, where he had his opportunities in the first set, I don't think that's a bad loss either to burners a clay court so good (laughs) no and look the to burner loss in barcelona you don't love but to burners a clay court specialist you know i don't know i can't it was three and oh though no i agree you don't love it it was also the week after monte carlo which was certainly a physical week for sebastian corda He's not playing the week before as he did at last year's french open doesn't have many points to defend given he lost first round last year this is a big opportunity for Sebastian Corda. And again, let's say, because he's going to be 27, 28 seed. If Medvedev's his seed, like, don't you love that matchup? Aren't you picking Corda 
in that yeah. one? Or, you know, again, if it's an unhealthy Nadal, another shot at him. I'm not saying he's going to win that match, but boy, would that be fun. And just, you know, again, he's got the size. He's got the weapons. Does he have the physicality to do it seven matches in a row? No, not yet. But can he do it three matches in a row? I do think Sebastian Court is capable of that. And again, it depends who's his highest seed. But even if it's a Rublev or a Rude or, you know, someone along those lines, I think Korda can beat him straight up on his best day. And that's why I think he's the guy right now. Because you're right, Fritz isn't healthy. Opelka, I don't know what to think. Tiafo would be my second pick in this category because, again, in three out of five sets, just give me Tiafo. Just give me that player, his physicality over the majority of the field. I would go quarter one, Tiafo two, healthy Fritz three, Isner four, Opelka five in terms what of about confidence Tommy rankings. And, oh, Tommy six. Now, Tommy ahead of Opelka. Tommy ahead of Isner. So Tommy five, Isner six, Opelka seven. Uh, sorry, Isner, Tommy four, Isner five, Opelka six, Brooksby seven. Okay, let me see. Okay, I'll go Fritz one. I'm going to go Corda. Oh, man. Do I go Fritz? I'm going to go Fritz one. I'm sticking with my guy. I like Fritz it. Fritz one, Corda two. And my concern with Fritz for the record is just a health thing. Because, okay. So, again, okay. we just so haven't saying, seen much of him since Monte Carlo. So we're saying injured. We don't know his health. Okay. In that That's, case, but keeping that context in mind. Yes. Okay. Is he go, so, knowing what we know? Corda one, Fritz two. Okay. I guess I, you know. Francis Tiafo can also get a crowd going, which is, you know, kind of will you over the line. I love Francis. I think he's the most beloved player right now that's not a big three member or Alcaraz on the ATP tour. I think his approval rating and his ability, as you mentioned, to engage crowds, it's just better than everyone else's. And yeah, he lost to Garin and Krajinovic in Madrid and Rome. Made the final run in Estoril. Really good win over Davidovich Fokina. Good win over Korda as well. You know, again... I just think three out of five sets, it's the physicality. Let's look for Francis Tiafo at the slams, not only over the last 52 weeks, but, you know, for me, I always like to look since, you know, the pandemic era of ATP tennis started because that's really the gauge we have for this next generation. Now, it's been their world in that sense that they've had all the playing opportunities since that time. You look for Francis Tiafo at the Grand Slams. He's 10 and 7 overall in slams. Now, he does have two first-round losses in Roland Garros. And we all remember last year's up two sets to love should not have ever lost that match to Steve Johnson. Also loses first uh, round yeah, five yeah, sets in 2020 to Jan Leonard Struff. Two five set losses for him in Roland Garros. Outside of that, he's won all of his first matches in Grand Slams. And this is the first time since the pandemic started that he's going to be seated at a Grand Slam as well. I think he's a shoe in to get to the second round. I think he holds a shoe in. Yeah, I think he. I think he wins think, his first round match. I don't. There's some. There's some potential qualifiers that I, I'll take. Fran. I'll take my chances with Francis. Okay. I think he's going to get to the third round. I think he's going to hold seed, because I just think again, this is a big opportunity for him to pick up some points going into this summer stretch and going into a stretch where he may has third round points Wimbledon, fourth round points U.S. Open. Again, the free ride's about to end for Francis, and if he wants to sustain his top thirty ranking. This is a big opportunity for him. I think he will sense that, and I think we're going to see primetime Francis deliver. That's why, to me, he's got to be number two on my list because I don't know about Fritz, but I think he has to be top three. 
Okay. Yeah. And I think I I had him at three, right? Yeah, yeah you I, did. I, you I, did. But that would yeah. be my strong case for him. Yes. I, 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 I can't argue with anything you said. I, okay. I, I feel like we're back to old times. But I agree. I agree. Uh, good. Yeah. I've missed you. Um, this is nice. No, I, if, here's my thing. If you agree, then it means I made a good argument. That's the I, fundamental I, thing. Um, all right. Four, I mean, four on. Tommy's playing so poorly, but like his upside's as high as any that of them. Forehand is I can't. It's built for clay. Yeah. Um, and Not last he, he got a set off Medvedev last year, right? He at mm-hmm. least got the tiebreak. I think he got a set. No, you're not and wrong. He was right in that match. I'm gonna put him at four. I'll put Opelka at five. I'll put uh, Isner at six, and I'm gonna just drop Jensen Brooksby down. I'm gonna put Marcos Giron at seven. Interesting. I like that. So, I mean, are you ready to move beyond these top seven guys? Do you have any final? Th- Isner Opel, like, again, do Brooksby's they hold seed or do you is, think they get upset? Brooksby's game is not built for clay. I don't okay. think. I think he needs that extra pop that, like, a hard court and, or, you know, even like his variety on grass court is going to be really good. Um, you asked about Isner. Isner's getting older. He's, more focused on doubles. You know, I love John Isner, but of course. I also want to be objective here. And I just, I don't, you know, again, the kick serve works really well on clay and he's had a lot of double. He's really good at the net. Um, mm-hmm. But I mean, I just don't see it. Uh, he, he beat the, the serves going to keep him in matches for, for sure. But mm-hmm. I don't see him going deep at the friend. I don't think I don't ever see him going deep in singles at a major anymore. Yeah, I mean, look, I know that's a tough thing to say out loud, but it, it's not unfair. It's not unfair to say. And, you know, again, I think for him, second round, third round, like that's probably a success, right? At that point for Isner. And so in singles, yeah. Yeah, in singles. And so it's going to be fascinating to see how he go. you know, again, how he performs uh, throughout the course of the event. What's a win for Brooksby? Second round or the yeah, win yeah. is third round, but I think realistically the expectation should be second round. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. Like, I, I do think that is probably the expectations for him now. You know, again, Opelka, he's been all over the place here in did, this clay court. Did you season. see the uh, tennis drama video with him on YouTube? You know, the tennis, uh, he was all, he was in the latest one. He, I, I don't know where he mentally he's in and out of well, matches. Just again, for him to win Houston, then go first round loss to Oda, first round loss to quarter, first round loss to Wawrinka. It's just tough. And then obviously I think for him to play Geneva this week, that was such a, and so I think for him, he's one of those players who this week actually matters. And like he beats O'Connell. If he beats Greek sport tomorrow, now we're talking, okay, I could see him making a, a holding seed and getting to the third round because that yeah. would be now he has confidence and now he's serving well going into Paris. And I just do think three out of five sets is really hard to deal with that serve. But I need to see another win for him in Geneva before I think he holds serve. Especially these qualifiers, like if he gets no like a qualifier who doesn't see that type of serve day in, day out, it's going to be brutal. And But again... Yep. Again, I totally, I hate to say it again, but I totally agree with you. This week is very important. I want to see a win against Greek sport tomorrow. If he loses to Greek sport tomorrow, I'm going to start, I'm going to say second round maybe is where he'll end up at the French. Again, it depends on the draw, but I just, he, he's not, he's not serving that as, you know, Wawrinka with the, he chipped the serve. Wawrinka did a big, great job in Rome of chipping that uh 
what's that? What's the? I'm totally blanking on the the chip the block return. return. The block, block return. return. Yes, yeah. yes. Of so blocking that return back, and it kind of created like a formula. It showed the formula to get to get it back in play. But I just. I want to see the draw before, and I want to see how he does this week. Yeah, I know I'm kind of random. <laughs> no, no, completely fair. Well, with that in mind, I'm going to change the parameters. We play, okay. you know, second round. Of further. I'm just going to tell me what's a win, what's a loss in terms of how far they reach. Marcos Garon. A win is second round. A loss is first round. Disagree. I'm going to say wins third or, round. Yeah. Okay. Because I, I think, think he made yeah. third round last year, if memory serves me correct. It's either second or third round for him last year. But I'm going to say wins third you round. I get- agree overpowered on clay yeah the four but the thing is he has that much more time and his forehand is so heavy like it can it just rips through some of these clay courts Mackie Mackie I know he's had some personal issues a win would be if he again I think a win for him is third round I think that's a serious I agree I think second round for him see that's the one for me just get a win get a win yeah Yeah, be top 64 Let's switch it. So second round for Mackey and third round for Mark. Yeah, we just had our – well, we're sticking with a UCLA Bruin theme here because the next highest-ranked American is a third consecutive Bruin here, Maxime Cressy, 62 in the world. For second round's a win for him, right? I uh, Yeah, he's uh, definitely – I mean, he's probably already smelling the grass of uh, Wimbledon if, if, if it's played. Uh, I agree with you. Nakashima? Second, getting a couple sets. <laughs> yeah, second round, I think, for sure. Yeah. Kudla? He, oh, sorry. Sorry, go ahead. I didn't mean to cut no, you no, off. No, no, no. No, no, no. Because what are, so Brandon right now, 20 years old, 73 in the world. Do you look at what Nakashima, because we haven't had a Nakashima conversation on this podcast in a while, so we can, is a good place for us to wrap things up. Now we're back in our groove. Qualifies for Rome. First round loss to Dimitrov, but does qualify there. You know, loses first round Benoit Pair Madrid Masters qualifying. First round loss to Botic, six and three in Munich. Be, uh, gets a win in Barcelona before getting knocked out three and two by Casper Rude. I mean, three and three overall in terms of matches played here during the clay court season. Obviously, we haven't seen the biggest clay court result from him, but context being key, only the pair loss, which was a three set loss. Is the you know again that's the only one you're like oh you have to win that one at this point of his career he hasn't been bad like and for if he doesn't draw a seed this is where a Brandon Nakashima has to get a win right to make that next jump. Sure, he lost in the first round of Rome, but in qualifying he was good. He beat Madrid Zach, who is a really. Which is why I might even put him in that third round category because, like, if he doesn't have a seed in his first two matches, you need to win those two matches now if you're Brandon. Well, for me, it's like I don't think necessarily his game is well tailored. To, I think it's tailored to maybe grass and hard courts more. I think it's flatter. It is not, uh, you know, it doesn't have those heavy ground strokes that are so important on clay. But he, he has a he hits his spots on serve. He he gets the ball. He hits his spots really everywhere. And I think that. While maybe he's not making the headlines he once made, I think he's one of those under-the-radar guys that we could see sneak into a third round, and then it's like, well, what are you doing here? But then it, but then you look, and he's got two impressive wins in the first two rounds. So I think that, honestly, third round for him, I agree with you. Yeah, all right, yes, well said. I agree. We'll last few here. Kudla? Kudla is also someone who's already smelling the grass. Uh, second round. Stevie J? Stevie J is another one that I think. See, is- I think he's third round. Physicality, okay. three out of five sets, how heavy his forehand is. 
he should have success on clay courts. I kind of like how, again, that topspin forehand ripping through a clay court. I want to see a third round from him. He, he looked pretty good in Sarasota. Uh, yeah, until the I final. agree. Um, I, that no. backhand, though, you know, he can manipulate it well. The slice is good, but you get someone with a heavy forehand to that back, cross court to that backhand. Yeah. I don't know. The third round, I think, is fair because, like you said, he did beat Francis Tiafo last year in five sets. And I think that, you know, the serve can keep him in sets and then, you know, win a couple tie breaks. Yeah. No, I agree with you. Well, with all of that said, again, those are your breakdown for the Americans heading into the 2022 French Open. Now, if you want to hear more about the contenders, the dark horses, tune in to our earlier episodes this week on the Mini Break Podcast. We covered all of the angles with a plethora of fun guests. Of course, you can find all of those here on this feed or on our website, CrackRackets.com. For the college tennis coverage, Great Shot Podcast feed is the place for How about Michigan, huh? Yeah. Oh, don't even get me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm excited, David. Let's just say that. I am very, very excited for that quarterfinal match on Thursday. And, of course, that action available on the Tennis One app. But, of course, all the coverage available via our website, CrackRackets.com. Like, great subscribe review to all the shows. A shout-out, as always, to super producer Daniel Westoff for the of an any job he does day in, day out, making all this content possible. Shout-out to our friends at Tennis Point as well, Tennis-Point.com. The promo code is CR15. Before we sign off, David, any final thoughts? Um, I just want to thanks again for having me. And I am so excited about, you know, it starts on a Sunday too, which is yeah, uh, yeah. the French open starts on a Sunday and I've been enjoying the, have you been watching any, uh, you've, I know you're so busy. Have you watched any of the qualities this week? It's been really fun. Qualifying. Oh, I am. Ex- yes. You think Nuno's a match away from his first grand slam main draw. And I'm not aware of it, David. <laughs> I've been following it all again. Busy Tough time now against Piros. Piros is one of those guys that, you know, we can talk about it another time, but he is, he beat Jurassic He is an under the radar guy that drives in quickly. All right. I may text you later in the week for us to do a qualifying recap podcast because there's definitely meat on that bone. But with all that said, I appreciate that, David. And for the fantastic David Gertler, our super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. David, what do we tell the people? That's the break. And we will see you all tomorrow. <laughs> Thank you as always, my friend. Thank you. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.